How do you put money into an individual retirement account, commonly referred to as an IRA? Or should you put your money into a Roth IRA? How much should you contribute? How much can you contribute? We'll answer these questions and more on this episode of Through the Pines. Welcome to a financial planning podcast with the down-to-earth vibe. Rex, I think you'll like this one. Sasquatch listens while chilling poolside at his Miami beach condo. Yes, this is Through the Pines. Let's bring in and introduce our financial wizards this week from planwithbaxter.com. The Rex Baxter and Brandon with a Y Smith here at the top of your screen. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having us as always. <laughs> All right, so let's dive right in. We're talking about IRAs. How do you put money into an IRA? Do you go to the bank and say, here's 20 bucks, put it in my, don't put it in my savings, put it in my IRA. How do you put it in an IRA? What is that? So you can certainly do that. Um, you know, you can have an IRA, an individual retirement account at virtually any financial institution. Um, most of, you know, almost all of them have retirement accounts available. And, and you can deposit a check. You can move money from, you know, a bank account or an investment account over into it. it, it you can't move securities typically from, from one account into an IRA. It has to go in as, as, you know, so to say cash or as liquid. But, you know, you can virtually move any money you want into an IRA account. Okay. And so, so what is an IRA, an individual retirement account? That's a great question. So, so an IRA is is simply the way I like to explain it is it's simply an account that you can save money for retirement in in a tax efficient manner. And we've got traditional IRAs, we've got Roth IRAs, and going into the difference of those differences of those. I will say though, oftentimes clients are surprised when I tell them, "Oh yeah, like as long as you qualify and you meet these certain criteria that we're going to go into." I can literally be sitting with a brand new person in front of me and have an IRA or Roth IRA open for them 20 minutes later. I mean, it's it's that easy to set up and establish. We connect your bank account. We just pull money right into the into the IRA. And so really, the, the question isn't, isn't so much how, how difficult or how do you do it, so much as which IRA makes the most sense or do IRAs make the most sense for you at all? And, and do you qualify for it? Sure. So let's talk about the different kinds of IRAs, Roth IRA versus tra traditional IRA. What are the differences and why should I use one or the other? So I think the, the basic differences between the two is on, on a traditional IRA, you can, you can put in two different money types, if you will. You can do pre-tax money, meaning that it goes in and then you can take it as a, as a tax deduction on your taxes would be one way in a traditional IRA, or you can do what's called an after-tax contribution to where you don't get the tax deduction and it's just moving the money in, in after-tax. And, and so that's on the traditional IRA. And, and we'll talk a little bit about why somebody might do an after-tax contribution versus a pre-tax into a traditional IRA. And then on a Roth IRA, it's all after-tax money, meaning that you get no tax deduction on the front end for putting money into a Roth IRA. So those, those are in general, you know, kind of a description of the two, you know, the money types that go into the IRA accounts. Okay. Rex, repeat that last line because uh, it glitched out. The internet glitched out. It's oh, probably the sorry. first so I, warning there. 
I yeah, we do have <laughs> yeah. So in my in my area, we do have a little flash flood warning in southern Utah at the moment, and so we're kind of in the monsoon season. I guess where we Whoa. get rain for about three or four hours, and you get floods going down these slot canyons. It's wild and uh, kind of chases everybody out. So it's kind of, kind of wild. So anyway, I was just saying that those are those are the different money types. That, that you can put in because I, I always kind of laugh, you know, we'll, we'll get a client that comes in and sits down with us for a meeting. And I'm like, so did you, you know, what have you done for IRA accounts and, and contributions? They're like, oh, I went into the credit union and I bought an IRA. You did what? You bought an IRA. Well, you don't buy an IRA. An IRA is an account type, like checking is an account type. Savings account is an account type. Brokerage is an account type. And an IRA is just a shell. It's just, it's just a, an account type. And inside of that shell, you can invest in virtually anything you want. You can buy CDs, you can buy stocks, mutual funds, bonds, what you know, what whatever you want within reason. And so I always kind of kind of chuckle when they say, "Oh, I bought an IRA." Yeah. So yeah, you you probably overpaid if that's the case. Yeah. You you're you're really not. I mean, obviously, sometimes they're, they're account fees, um, depending on the account you open up. But really, there's not a cost to opening an IRA. It's a type of, of account, right, that has different taxation principles in it. And so, I mean, one of my number one pet peeves of all time, and I, you wouldn't believe how often I've come across it, is where people go to a bank. It's always a bank. And they, they go and they open up a Roth IRA. And the benefit of a Roth IRA is tax deferred or tax free growth, right? You never get taxed on on the on the growth of the account. And they'll go to a bank, they'll open a Roth IRA because they've heard of Roth IRAs and Roth IRAs have all these great features. And then they invest in a CD, right? Inside of these IRAs, you can invest in whatever you want, from gold to stocks to bonds to CDs to cash. And we'll go into more of those. But they'll buy a CD that's earning nothing. And so you know you get tax free growth, but you don't get any growth. And so it's basically useless. And so it's kind of an interesting, often it's amazing how even at some financial institutions, you can tell there's there's not quite the the uh, the financial planning side of it going on where they don't understand why you would use a certain account. Okay, so is it, so I guess I could just open one. So, so what are the benefits of using a financial planner then instead of just me going to the bank and doing it myself? The number one reason you use a financial planner is to make sure you understand why you're why you're doing the IRA. Because ultimately, do we want to do traditional IRA, which is pre-tax? We take a tax deduction, we reduce our taxes and effectively defer the taxation until retirement. When we pull the money out in retirement, it's going to be taxable to us as income. So you have to ask yourself the question, you know, do I want to pay taxes on it today or do I want to defer that taxation until I'm in retirement? And, and the answer to that question is different for different people, right? It has to do with where's your tax bracket today? Where's your tax bracket going to be in retirement? And so as financial advisors, not only can we, you know, run through the limitations of, you know, are you eligible to make this type of traditional or Roth contribution, but also, you know, what, what's in your best interest? Do we want, because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter to Rex or I, whether you do traditional IRA, Roth IRA, we're just trying to figure out from a tax perspective, what's going to be in your best interest. And it actually is, I mean, I hear all these analogies. Do you want to be taxed on the seed or the harvest? Ultimately, 10% off the front is the same as taking 10% off the back. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, am I in a higher tax bracket today or am I in a higher tax bracket in retirement? 
And unfortunately, we don't have a crystal ball, right? We don't know what government tax rates are going to be. We don't know what your future income is going to be. There's plenty of, of variables, but through financial planning and sometimes even just through a, a simple five, 10 minute discussion, we can get a really good idea. You know, does it make sense? You know, are we going to be in a higher tax bracket later on or today? Just generally speaking, right? If you're young, you're in your younger earning years, your income's maybe not at its highest point. Roth IRAs tend to make a lot of sense, right? Especially, you know, if you're married, filing jointly household incomes below, you know, about $109,000, give or take, you're likely in the 12% federal bracket. At that point, that usually makes a lot of sense. Let's do Roth IRAs, pay the tax today, right? We're not going to get an extra tax bill, but we're not getting a tax break either. So we, we put it in, let it grow tax-free. Now, if you're in your later earning years, let's say you're, you know, in your 50s, and, and perhaps you haven't saved enough for retirement. And so in retirement, you're likely going to be pulling money out and your income is going to be dramatically less than it is today. Well, then at that point, you know, maybe we do traditional assets and we postpone the tax taxability of it. Right. We push off. We don't pay income tax on it today. We push that off until we pull it out in retirement. So it really is a custom question with custom answers. Yeah. I think one of the, the reasons you use an advisor, Brandon, is that <clears throat> is that one too often there's misinformation right too often somebody will say oh but my my brother my sister my mom my dad my friend whoever said that i should be doing this so i can get a tax deduction and and really they haven't you know they, they don't know anything really about your your savings and what you have whether you're in a high bracket today or a low bracket in retirement but it's just something that that they're saying because that's what's right for for that person and they're trying to they're trying to help you they're doing it with great intentions but they're just telling you what they're doing and therefore you should do it too and that doesn't always make the most sense and and then sometimes they'll get partial information they'll read an article their accountant will kind of say something uh, uh, you know something along those lines to where they get part of the information they remember part of the information and, and they're like, oh, everybody should be doing a Roth. Well, no, everybody shouldn't be necessarily be doing a, a Roth IRA. Some people should be, and some people should be doing a, a you know, tax deductible traditional. And so I think that's why you use an advisor is to, to look at your individual facts and circumstances and see what is right for you. Okay, so let's say I'm at the bar and I'm bragging that I have a Roth IRA and, uh, you know, but I, but I, but it's not as cool as, as an IRA because somebody next to me knows more than, than me about what's going on. Who is this person that has an IRA? What is their, their life like that they should have an IRA and not a Roth IRA? So, so that's a great question. And so lots of times, again, that comes down to tax brackets and it comes down to your perception of where you think your tax bracket will be in the future. And we, we can, we can project out you know, your income, we can project out your deductions, we can project out current tax rates, but nobody knows what Congress is going to do. Nobody knows if Congress is going to raise tax rates or lower tax rates. We all have an opinion of what that might might look like down the road. I think at the end of the day, you really want to know. I mean, if you're, you know, married, filing jointly, and you make, you know, $150,000 a year, that's going to put you in the 22% federal bracket. Well, if in retirement, you're dealing with social security and you're dealing with a smaller pension or a smaller retirement account and your income during retirement may drop down to 60,000 or 70,000, 
then you're only in the 12%. So I'd rather get the tax deduction today and save 22% and then pay 12% in retirement and therefore saving 10% on my taxes. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, a, l- a little tacky, a little a little in the weeds, but yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes clients will have both, right? They'll have a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. In fact, if you've, you know, if you've participated in a 401k plan and you've made a Roth 401k contribution and you retire from that plan, choose to roll the, those assets over from a 401k to an IRA, you're actually gonna have two different contributions, right? Your personal Roth contributions will be in a Roth IRA. But the employer match is always pre-tax, and so that's going to be in a traditional IRA. Okay. And so at that point, you'll have both. Can you just explain the difference between Roth and an IRA? Or sorry, uh, uh, 401k. Roth and a traditional? Yeah, a 401k and an IRA. Yeah, great question. Yeah, so so one of the main, and there's a lot of little nuances, but the main difference is a 401k is going to be an employer-sponsored plan. Meaning if you came to me, you worked for, you know, you work for XYZ company, they don't have a 401k and you said, hey, they, my company doesn't have one. I want a 401k because I can save more, right? A 401k, you can save $20,500 per year if you're younger than age 50, $27,000 per year if you're over age 50. You're like, man, I don't want to be stuck with these stinking IRA limits, right? The IRA limit of $6,000 per year if you're under 50, $7,000 per year if you're over 50. And those do adjust, right? Next, you know, each year they or every couple of years they adjust up. But but you say, hey, I don't want to be stuck at these IRA contribution limits. Let's go ahead. I want to open a 401k. We can't open a 401k for you unless we have a business to sponsor that. Now, if that's the Banyan Collective business and you're the only employee, we can still do that. We can open a 401k um, for you and, and have those higher contribution limits. But just your regular everyday citizen that does not have an uh, a business can't go out and open a 401k. Sounds good. Rex, let's, let's say, um, I have a van. Some tan van. Maybe it is tan. It is tan and it's famous. And <laughs> therefore it I is. would like to put it in my IRA. Can I put my van in my IRA? What can I not put in an IRA? So there's so a lot of things that you can put in an IRA. I'm not sure that you can put a tan van necessarily <sighs> in your IRA, um, <laughs> or that you would want to, because, Un, we can you know, get it in there. Your, yeah, your your tan band's a little bit unique because it may actually go up in value with age because of how That's infamous it is. Right. But right. a lot of vehicles kind of depreciate, right? Sure, a lot, sure. lot of vehicles go down in value. And so... So that's, that's not necessarily the best, but you can put, like Brandon said, you know, all your traditional investments you can put in there, whether it's mutual funds, stocks, bonds, you know, exchange trade funds, but you can also in, in other kind, you know, in a, in a self-directed IRA, you can put, you know, your baseball card collection, you can put real estate, you can put, you know, gold bars, gold coins, silver bars, silver coins. You can put a private business as far as your ownership shares. There, although there are a lot, and let me emphasize that, a lot of restrictions and complications dealing with those self-directed IRAs. And yeah, they, they sort are of threw that out complex. there. It's a new term. What what is a self-directed IRA and why would anyone have one? <laughs> people like people like self-directed IRAs because they can they can let's let's say the tan van, right? You come to me and you say, Hey, I've got this tan van. It's not worth a lot today, but it's going to be worth a lot when it, you know, when, when this really blows, blows up. And so I I want to put this tan van in a Roth IRA so that it has that tax shelter as it grows. 
You can do that. But then let's say you're driving your tan van around and all of a sudden it breaks down and you've got to put $10,000 into the tan van to repair it. You can't just put $10,000 into it because that would technically be an IRA contribution. You can't contribute $10,000 per year. Wow. And and so, and now that's obviously a ridiculous <laughs> example because it's a van, right? But for real estate, it becomes a very real issue. If you've got a house that's in owned by an IRA and all of a sudden you've got to put a roof on it, you can't just go put a $20,000 roof, right? That's a $20,000 contribution increasing the value of it. And okay, so why, why do people put it in their IRA to begin with it? Why would you put a house in your IRA? Tax benefits, right? You can grow it. So then the appreciation is tax free. And, and so that, okay. that becomes really beneficial, but it's all those nuances that get really complex. Now, you know, let's say it's in your IRA, your traditional IRA, people would do that because they've got, you know, old money from a 401k, a large sum that they want to buy a house with. Well, now you're 72 and you have to start taking required minimum distributions. You can't just sell off like the garage of the house to take that required distribution every year. Yeah. Right? And so we've got to make sure that we have enough to take distributions. Maybe we're taking them out of other investment IRAs, but the complexities, the audits on those, the making sure that we're not making contributions out of line, making sure we're taking distributions and reporting those distributions. And so it doesn't make it impossible, but it does make it fairly expensive from an administration standpoint to make sure that all your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed because there's a lot of them. And, and you see a lot of issues come up because of that, just unforeseen, just money, cash flow issues when, sure. you, when you start doing that. Okay. Should... Um... If I have an IRA, why should I convert it to a Roth and vice versa if or not convert it? So again, I think that comes down to your tax rates. One of the nuances between traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs is the government allows you to do a conversion. And so let's say for some reason you are part of the, the mass layoffs that are kind of happening nationwide right now, right? And so you lose your job that's going to put you in a really low income tax bracket for this year. And the market's down at the moment. And so you have a depressed value on your IRA and a low income tax bracket on your IRA. This might be a good time to look at converting and paying the taxes today, moving up from a traditional IRA over to a Roth IRA and letting it grow tax free and recovering with the market tax free and therefore you're paying a smaller amount in taxes today than you may pay in retirement. And so again, it comes down to those differences in tax rates. Because essentially it just comes down to what's your tax rate this year versus what's your tax rate gonna be in retirement. And so exactly like Rex was saying, if you find yourself in a year where you're taxed, you know, you're always consistently in the 22% bracket, you're above $110,000 or so of income, you're like, man, you know, all of a sudden this year you're going to have less because you work for six months or something like that. Then, you know, Roth conversion, you could essentially sneak all of, a, a huge chunk of money out, pay only 12% taxes, put it in a tax-free bucket. That Then when you pull it out in retirement, it's grown and it's all tax-free. So it's highly beneficial. Downside to it, you're going to hurt your taxes, right? Like you're going to pay more taxes this year and you've got to come up with that money to pay for that. And so you got to kind of make sure you're planning for that and, and you realize how much that will cost cash flow. Uh, good idea to use financial planner, planwithbaxter.com for more information because the rules get weird. And then if you have all the information that you guys have, then you know how to sort of use the rules in your favor and, and when and why. Uh, so again, planwithbaxter.com. Uh, Brandon, do you have some more numbers? You bet I got some more numbers. 
So right. this one's really interesting. So this was actually Baker Hughes did did uh, just kind of a, a, I don't think they'd call a study, but they looked at the number of active oil and natural gas drilling rigs in the U.S. And so they they looked at it right as you know the pandemic was starting to shut things down. So this is March 13th of 2020 as the day President Trump declared a national emergency due to COVID. At that time, in March of 2020, we had 792 active and operating oil and natural gas drilling rigs. Rig count is kind of one of those things analysts use to say, you know, how much, how much are we producing? How, how active are we at drilling? So we were at 792 in March of 2020. That number fell to a pandemic low of 244 operating rigs five months after that. Yeah. I mean, that's a dramatic decrease. And, and why did it decrease? It decreased because we weren't using it, right? There was a time where oil futures literally went negative, which if you think about that, that means that you, if you would accept oil, someone would pay you to take the oil off their hands. I mean, that's a wild environment to wrap your mind around, but that's where we were. During that time, as you can imagine, people stopped drilling because you don't want <laughs> to be well, in that scenario. Well, did they know? They should, they should have kept yeah. Well, and, and so since then, right, rig counts have actually come online. Now, in July of 2022, we're back to 758 operating rigs. So we went from 792 down to 244 and back up to 758. So not quite as many, right? 792 to 758. So not quite as many, but we're most the way back. Kind of blows my mind a little bit, you know, that we're not fully back and then some with gas prices where they're at today. Yeah, pandemic but, uh, was weird because you drive the streets and there's no one on them. It was, re- yeah. it was really weird. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we talked about some of the tax consequences and and when to convert, but what what are the limits? In other words, if how much can I make too much to contribute to these plans, or, and then or how much do I have to make? If I only make five thousand a year, can I contribute to an IRA, Roth IRA? What are the limits we're looking at? What's stopping people? So one, you do have to have earned income. You have to have sweat income. Just because you earn dividends and interest, that's not considered earned income. That's passive income. Mm -hmm. And so you can only contribute up to the limits, which again, as Brandon had said, is $6,000. If you're under age 50, you get an extra $1,000 catch up, takes you up to $7,000 if you're over age 50 that you can contribute. But again, if you're working, let's say you're working five hours a week and you're only making, you know, $4,000 for the year, then you're going to be capped out at a $4,000 contribution. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, that's all you're making. You're going to have to stop spending money. Right. That might be an example of somebody that has a, a sugar mama, right? Or a sugar dad. Oh, I see what you're saying. And so, well, I mean, you or you're retired. Or, or, you're or retired. you're retired. You've got plenty of passive income. You're getting social security income. You want to make an IRA contribution and you're doing this little part-time job and all you're making is $5,000 a year. Well, we can then take that 5000 make a contribution to save it for later if okay. you've got extra money. So there, there are scenarios. The oh, other yeah. thing is 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 the, the top end of that, right? The other side of the spectrum is if you're making too much. So Roth contribution eligibility, if you're married filing jointly, and it's actually a phase out. It's not a direct cutoff. You can, you can't. But it starts phasing out at $204,000. And this is as, you know, for 2022. Sorry, but at 200 or joint, sorry. 
joint. So married filing jointly, household income. Once you hit $204,000 per year, it's going to actually, you know, instead of making 6,000, it might be 500 or, or, or 5,500, right? And, and it actually phases out relatively quickly until you hit 214,000. And then you can no longer make a Roth contribution married filing jointly. If you're filing single or head of household, that cutoff's at 129,000 and it goes through about 144,000. And so it gets complex enough that unless you really want to work with your accountant, a lot of times, you know, we just want to make sure you're under under that that limit for the Roth IRAs. One so 129 and 204, depending on how you're filing. Let's say you go over that limit and you still want to do a Roth contribution. There's something called the backdoor Roth. No. I was going to ask about this, but I was a little nervous. So what is? The yeah, it sounds it Roth? sounds like shady or something, you know. But it's called the backdoor Roth. I mean, literally everybody knows it. It, it was on the chopping block actually to be taken away in one of these last rounds of legislation. They ended up not taking it away. So I mean, it could go away any time now. But but the way the backdoor Roth, and it's kind of I don't want to call it sneaky, but essentially, like Rex was saying earlier, you can make a non-deductible. IRA contribution. You might ask yourself, well, why on earth would I make a non-deductible traditional IRA contribution? That doesn't make sense. The only reason you really want to do an IRA contribution is to get that tax deductibility. Well, you can make a non-deductible IRA contribution no matter what your income is. And then you can make a conversion from that traditional IRA to a Roth IRA in any year and any amount. And so essentially what you do, if you make a non-deductible IRA contribution of $6,000, you convert that over to a Roth, you've effectively just made a Roth IRA contribution. It's called a backdoor contribution. And there is no income limit on that. Now, the one catch with the backdoor IRA is on that conversion. Essentially, you can't have any other traditional IRA assets out there. You can't have a simple IRA, a SEP IRA, or any other traditional IRAs. And the reason for that is because there's a pro rata rule that essentially if you know you made $6,000 and you want to convert 6,000 over you have to pro rata convert from everything and it, tur- it turns into an accounting nightmare that nobody wants to participate in nobody wants pro rata anything right no no it's <laughs> no. way so, too so much that's probably the most common mistake that that we see is somebody has let's say somebody has a a $600,000 IRA account out there and and all of a sudden now they put another $6,000 into it after tax and so essentially you're talking that 1% of that IRA is after tax and 99% is pre-tax. And then they go and convert, let's say, you know, $50,000 into a Roth IRA. Well, 1% of that is not going to be taxed and 99% of that is going to be taxed on that conversion. Mm-hmm. And so they get surprised. They get a nice little tax surprise when they go and, and do their taxes in the spring. And so, but that's, that's a common, common mistake. So, so and then because the financial planner didn't give them the heads up or they're not using a planner or what? Probably the because they're not using a planner. Okay. And so they, they probably read something again, getting partial information and thought, Oh, that sounds like a good idea. I can't, I can't take it. I can't, I make too much money to contribute to a Roth. So I can't make a Roth contribution and I, I'm in a 401k plan and I make too much money to deduct it from an IRA, but, oh, I heard about a backdoor Roth. So I'm going to go make an after tax, you know, contribution into my IRA and convert it. And, and then it becomes a mess. And if they don't convert it, then it becomes an even bigger mess because then you have to track that after tax contribution 
for the rest of, of your life. Because no, then when you go to take yeah. out money in retirement, again, it comes out pro rata in retirement. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to track that every single year as to what's been pulled out, how much of the after-tax versus the pre-tax has been pulled out. And so most people just kind of throw their hands up and end up just saying, to heck with it. I'm not going to do the calculation. I'm just going to pay double taxation. I'm just going to pay taxes on that 6000 as it comes out, to heck with yeah. it all. I think Pro Rata was a skateboard brand in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, might have been. Sounds like it. I have a couple, I have a couple questions, but um, let's start with, can I have multiple IRAs or why would I want multiple or what's the purpose of that? Yeah, you can, you yeah. can have multiple. In fact, you can make multiple contributions. Now the trick and everyone's like, wait a minute, can I do a Roth and a traditional? No, you're limited to that 6,000. If you're under age 50, 7,000, if you're over age 50, um, 50 year old, all of them. you can't have five Roths and contributing the max to all five. Right. You get a five Roths and, and contribute, you know, a little over a thousand into each. Okay. If you wanted to, um, well, obviously, why would I have five Roths? Yeah, no, most people don't do that. Yeah. Usually, or, you kind of consult. People will usually consolidate them. So I've got all my Roth here, all my traditional here, and maybe a four hundred one k at work. Okay, right, or or maybe you're trying to do the the Roth conversion, so you convert the traditional IRA over to a Roth. You, you have that taxation, right? But now I can do a backdoor Roth, or or you know you can consolidate them in different ways. So there, there's quite a bit of flexibility. It's not like you're just out of luck if you have IRA assets. We just have to kind of look at, you know, what what is out there and 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 is it worth it, right? Is it worth it to move this money around in order to get an extra $6,000 in? And is it worth the contra- conversion? So there's quite a bit that goes into it that way. So, so three, three common reasons why somebody might have multiple IRAs or Roth accounts or traditional IRAs is one is is investment um, strategy is sometimes people want to track one investment strategy versus another and might want to be more aggressive in you know with some of their money and more conservative with an, with other parts of their money for whatever reason and so some sometimes we'll see that with multiple IRA accounts the other we'll get into in our next podcast is for distribution reasons is sometimes there's a strategy or two that that might make sense for us to have different IRA accounts for distributions. And then the third, the third thing we see, and, and again, this comes back to, you know, those, those people out there that, that come to us and say, Hey, I bought an IRA is lots of times that at some of the financial institutions um, like a bank or a credit union, when they go in and they buy a CD inside of an IRA account, they'll set up a separate IRA for each CD. Sometimes their technology isn't equipped to house different investments inside of the same account. And so, you know, but those are probably the three most common things that I see as to why somebody would have multiple IRAs. Can you combine all those recs or or do they count? Absolutely. You can consolidate them at any time. It just depends on if the financial institution that you're working with is capable of combining them. Again, if you're dealing with some of the financial institutions, such as bank or credit union, they may not be equipped to combine them all into one. They may, for their own record keeping purposes, have to keep the CDs in a separate account number for tracking of that interest in that CD. Interesting. So it just kind of depends. But when you're when you're working with, you know, most financial advisors and, and financial planners, most of them will work with you to either combine them all or to have a very specific reason as to why we're not combining them. Okay. Uh, so you talked a lot about, Rex, you, uh, these 
tax implications. You're not a, a tax advisor. You're not a CPA. How do you know all this? How do you stay yeah, up let, on let, all this? Let's say that one more time. I am not <laughs> a CPA. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't do your taxes. Um, we, we coordinate with CPAs, right? And so lots of times we'll work with your other professionals, whether it's a quick phone call, shooting emails back and forth, and, and just making sure that we understand kind of what tax bracket you're in, making sure that the CPA agrees with the strategy that we're putting in place. Because sometimes the CPA will see something that, that we may not see. We, you know, they may have a, a different kind of tax return involving K-1s and, and different things coming in that are impacting your, your income limits to where we may not always know or have a, as good of a feel as to where that income's coming in, where the CPA may have a better feel for that. And so that's why we work really closely with your other professionals. Okay. So this is my, this is my favorite question on the whole list here that you guys provided for me. And my son loves dinosaurs. So I'm excited about this to hear what this is. What is a mega Roth? Is this a, is this new? What is, cause mega <laughs> is big. Mega giant is big. Roth. These yeah, are giant really? Roths. Right, right? right. These are what giants. Mega Roth. <laughs> mega Roth. So these these have been in the media more lately. I, I mean, it literally is just what it sounds like. It's just a big account, right? And the media has kind of nicknamed them Mega Roth to try and get, um, and, and Congress has done that a little bit too, to try and get a little bit more focus on the ballooning values of some of these Roth IRA accounts that are out there. And and kind of what's happened over the years is somebody may put, you know, may, maybe they put Apple stock into their IRA account back in the in the early 90s. And now after, you know, 30 years, that stock has ballooned up and has turned into, you know, many, many millions of dollars in that Roth IRA account. Megan. And so that's that's part of the reason that they're considering shutting down some of the features such as the backdoor Roth features that we've talked about. And that's been on the chopping block for a couple of years. They haven't done it yet, but, but a lot of people are anticipating that at some point in the next few years that they may shut down that strategy because they're, they're trying to, to limit that yeah, benefit you don't, because if you, don't you, want you get extreme people to growth, get wealthy, it's a terrible yeah, idea. Terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> Right. It is darn investors. Dang capitalists. Uh, capitalists getting <laughs> making money out there. Terrible right. idea. What, what are we thinking? But it's not a tax advantage. It's not it's not an actual Roth. It's just a phrase of a Roth that makes has had made a lot of money. It's right? just a description of a Roth. It's just it's a Roth IRA that has a lot of money in it. Okay. Do you have a do you have a mega Roth Rex? Well, <laughs> compared to compared to some, yes, and compared to others, no. <laughs> so it's all relative, Brandon. It's all it's all relative. Very good discussion. Thank you, gentlemen, for more questions with these two on IRAs, Roth IRAs, conversions, four hundred eight, four hundred one k conversions, IRA conversions, all those things. Planwithbaxter.com. Okay, so you have money in a Roth. Now, how do you get it out of the Roth? When can you take it out of the Roth? Can you use it as a down payment on a house? What are your options? There's a podcast for that. It's our next episode of Through the Pines. So we'll be right back with that. In the meantime, thanks for watching or listening to this episode of Through the Pines, reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams.